Well, good morning, Life Church. My name is uh, Matt Evans, and this morning I have the privilege of just continuing our worship through our time in the Word together. Before we dive into the sermon today, I wanted to share with you all a story that I learned about in my preparation for this morning. And it's a story about a Scottish missionary named John Patton. John Patton and his wife felt that they had a clear calling to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. And through many discouraging comments that they received from their family and friends, they pushed forward to these islands and started ministering to these folks, putting together what would be uh, the parts of a fruitful, uh, vibrant uh, church. And um, three months into their time there, they experienced terrible tragedy, and John's wife dies. Then, one week later, his son dies as well. So John goes back to Scotland and sort of puts the pieces of life back together and begins the healing process. Well, sometime later, John remarries, and he feels like he's never lost this calling to this particular people group in the islands. And once again, he experiences all these discouragement and, and folks in his family and friends saying, hey, look, this essentially is a suicide mission. Because what the folks in Scotland knew about these islands is that they were full of barbaric cannibals. So, despite that fact, John and his new wife, well, they push forward and they move to this, this island and they, they minister to these folks for 41 faithful years. And towards the end of that time there, John once again starts getting letters from back home and they're saying, hey, look, John, you've got to get out of there. Essentially, John, you've lost a step. You're getting old. Um, if you're not careful, these folks are going to eat you. And so, John, I, I thought I'd read his response to you guys this morning because... Um, It's just classic. So he he writes this, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, but if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. (laughs) And in that great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. So, whether by cannibals or by worms, I mean, I mean he's not wrong, right? I, and if you know me well, I can, I can sometimes get in trouble with my frankness and, and bluntness, so maybe that's why that kind of stuck out to me. Certainly get in trouble at times with my wife. But. So this morning, I wanted to just sort of lay before you my plans, my hopes, and what I've really been praying for this morning um, in our time together in the Word. As I've been reading through First Thessalonians, there have been some major things that seem to keep jumping out at me. But I want to communicate that as I read through the Word and as I preach this, I'm not preaching or teaching from a place of arrival, that this is something that God has been convicting and revealing, stuff that needs to just shift and change in my own heart. God is, this has proven to be a time where God has just opened my eyes to the kind of God-glorifying and peace and hope-kindling kind of commitment and perspective that I ought to have towards the church, towards the body of Christ. I want to spend our time focusing on three things that Paul wants to communicate to the church. So first, Paul wants to communicate to the church in, uh, in Thessalonica the extent of his affection for them. He wants them to know how encompassing this love that he has for them is. And then two, Paul wants to encourage them in times of affliction and ground them in a biblical perspective towards hard times. 
And then finally, three, Paul lets them and us know that this type of affection, well, it moves him to action. He doesn't just stop at saying, man, I love that church. No, it, it moves him to, to sacrificial love and action. Let's read our scripture today, First uh, Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. I'm going to be reading in the ESV. You guys can follow along with me, certainly on your version apps or the Bibles next to you. So 1 Thessalonians 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you've protected and even unified us through this season. God, I pray that... um, that this morning your word would do its work, that you would speak through me, God, and that we would understand clearly what it is that, that you want for us, that, that your word would convict where, it need, where we need to be convicted and that would build up and encourage where we need to be built up. God, we love you, we praise you, in your perfect, holy, and worthy name, amen. So the first point today is that Paul wants the church in Thessalonica and us to know the extent of his affection for the church. At the beginning of the, of the chapter, his therefore ties us back to chapter 2, specifically to verses 17 through 19, where Paul says this, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul makes it clear that even though he's physically absent from the body, well, his heart still remains with the church in Thessalonica. Paul earlier recounts afflictions that he will happily endure if he can be with them or at least hear word of how they are. Paul over and over again makes it clear that, look, hey, I can endure suffering, beating, torments, afflictions, but I just can't bear not knowing how you are. I think as we think of Paul's appreciation and affection and love for the church, it's helpful for us to look back at his or look forward at his other letters too. Paul says this in, in Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one, and it has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul makes it clear that his connection to the church is not a loose connection. It's not a, one of simply convenience. The truth is, that the Bible paints a clear picture of the body, the church, as one body, so that if one part is hurting, well, then all know about it and they feel it too, right? 
But that's just not how we naturally work, is it? That's why we have to push hard towards gospel-centered communities where we can be 100% known and not just 72% known. Because that's 72%. That's somebody else. That's not you. We see that this kind of authenticity and transparency, even dependence on one another, is God-honoring and biblical, so we push for it. This makes me think of a conversation that I had recently with, a, with an awesome couple in our church recently. And as we talked, they just shared with me that, that things were tough, things were difficult, and tears were shed. And at some point in that conversation, they communicated to me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be so emotional. As if, as if this isn't what ex- exactly what Paul encourages us to do as far as sharing our burdens and letting other people carry the load with us. And don't hear me wrong, by any means I'm not saying shame on you for not getting that because actually what these folks communicated to me was encouraging because I can find myself looking at other folks in the body and I say, oh, they, don't need, they don't need to be burdened with what I got on my plate. They got enough going on. Or, or I can find myself pulling away when things get really crazy, and that's usually when we need, I need, the body the most. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which, is our, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God so composed the body, giving the greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. And y'all, this is the conclusion and connection that sometimes I need to be smacked upside the head with. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. In a sermon that I recently listened to by Paul Washer, he said this, and and guys, I know that he's not for everybody, so if you look him up after this and you're just kind of like, whoa, (laughs) take it with a grain of salt. He's a passionate, passionate man. So Paul says this in that sermon, when the weight of other people's troubles or their lives truly bear down on your life, this is good. Because the Spirit gives us competency and the ability to minister and pray. And folks, we see this in what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. And certainly in his other letters as well. I'll make this bold statement that I feel falls squarely under the authority of Scripture and ties so clearly back to that verse earlier in Romans. That we are never more the picture of the body of Christ, the church, that the world needs to see as when we weep with a part of the body that is weeping and when we rejoice with a part of the body that is rejoicing. Second point today is that Paul wants to encourage and build up the church in difficult times. He wants to root them in a biblical perspective towards difficulties. And this isn't easy, right? Because it's our tendency to do what we do most of the time to build our lives in such a way that would prevent any, any difficulties, any hardships. It's why we choose the jobs that we choose, the friends that we choose, the churches that we choose. 
But Paul says in verse 3 that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourself know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, and just as it has come to pass, and just as you now know. Paul wants the Thessalonians to know that their time of present suffering was in God's control. Doesn't that just give you room to exhale, knowing that God is sovereign? Friends, if you're walking through a a difficult season, something difficult right now, I I hope and pray that, that this gives you comfort. I don't mean to make light or oversimplify anything that's going on in your life because there's plenty on this side of glory that we just won't have an answer for or or understand. But nevertheless, these afflictions, Paul makes clear that they were appointed to. As part of the normal Christian life, believers have an appointment with affliction. Now, this is an unpopular and often avoided truth, but it's where the Bible points us. Some believe that Christians shouldn't suffer difficulties or hardships, and they think that Christians should only learn by the Word of God by reading it. And it's true that we would be spared by many difficulties, troubles, and mistakes if we would just obey it. But nevertheless, if you look at the story of God's people, God shapes and sanctifies His people much of the time through hardships and difficulties. The Exodus story, Daniel, David. And one other thing to consider is this that suffering was good enough for Jesus, to shape Jesus even. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons of glory, should, be make, or should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Church, if it's good enough to teach our Savior and we are being shaped and molded to be more and more like Christ, then it only seems fitting that God would use difficulties to shape and sanctify us as well. The truth is that affliction means plenty of the time that God wants what what is best for us when all we want is what's easy. Church, The symbol of Christianity is not a comfy bed, right? It's not a lazy boy and it's not a yacht. The symbol of Christianity is a cross. Another poor understanding of affliction is one that suggests that God must be angry at the believer and that's why it happens at all times. The truth is, the truth is that affliction means often that God is shaping and sanctifying us because of his deep, committed love for us. I would also be remiss not to remind us that, yes, while we do have an appointment with affliction, let's not forget how we are supposed to walk through this. First and foremost, we have Christ, amen? amen? And then also, there's hope and peace in knowing that God never intended us to walk through this alone. Even in the... Even in the humanly sense, we have family. We have the body of Christ. The third point today is that Paul wants wants them to know that this type of affection for the church, well, it moved him to action. 
We see at the end of the verses that we're working through today that Paul communicated to the church that when he could bear it no longer, he sent Timothy. And this is no small thing. I think it's important for us to understand who Timothy was to Paul. Paul was deeply connected to Timothy. He relied on this brother in in arms, so to speak. Also, we consider where Paul was writing this from in Athens. Well, Athens was a place of over 30,000 gods and many violent critics towards Christianity. All this to say, if ever there was a place that Paul needed reinforcements, well, it was in Athens. But what we see is that Paul sees a need and he sacrificially moves. What we see throughout our whole picture today of Scripture is that Paul sees a need and he sacrificially moves. Paul has love for the church and affection and appreciation that fuels his concern for them. But that concern doesn't stop there. That concern fuels his love and affection, which moves him to action. Church, I confess that I can't tell you how many times I let my, my, my appreciation and affection for folks in the church turn to concern, and then it just stops. I don't do anything about it. And if you're in the same boat as me, that should give us plenty reason to just pause and consider, do we really love the folks that we're communicating some kind of concern for? Or has it just turned into a reason to gossip or, or, or pass judgment if we aren't willing to move? Friends, this has been something that God has been convicting me of in recent months, and it's, and it's been helpful just to read his word and let it do, do its work on my heart, and specifically in Romans Chapter 12, verse 10, where it says this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. The words in this text refer to a tender affection displayed to those born of the same womb. The kind of language that is in Romans here is is that is used to refer to a sweet, warm affection, particularly in family love. Please listen to this, that if you are in Christ, then we have all been born into the same family. Brothers and sisters, when Christ gives us new life from God, we are family in the eternal sense. So if we are to be the type of family that, we're, that the Bible is calling us to, I think it would be helpful and right for us to consider what would be an obstacle that would prevent us from doing this. And Matt Perez keeps calling us back to burn the ships, right? Burn these ships. And one ship that we need to rightly burn is the ship of selfishness. One theologian wrote this about selfishness. When one thinks more of himself than he ought, he will love others less than he ought. One of the things to remember about Paul is that he allowed himself to love in this way is because he said no to the lie that would suggest that taking care of self it should be first. <clears throat> Let's remember this, that Paul has said he can pretty much endure anything, suffering, starvations, beatings, torment, ridicule. But what he can't live with is not knowing how his, his brothers and sisters in Christ are. I had a great conversation with Tom this week, and we talked about that type of dependence. And I know you guys likely have somebody in your life that You just can't bear not knowing how they are. You have to know that they're okay, they're taken care of, or 
it, it's somebody in your life that, look, you can't function without them. You need them to, to be able to just get through. And I think about, for me, when, when I was walking through the opportunity to become an elder here, somewhere in that interview process, I had a conversation about my wife. And I said to them, I communicated, and I realized that I say yes to this because we say yes to this. I can't do this without her. I need her wisdom. I need her to, to keep me accountable <laughs> when I need it the most. Um, I, I just need her to hold me up when I need it the most. And I think this is the sort of dependence that Paul's communi- communicating. Let's not so- lose sight of this, that Paul definitely pointed these churches and us towards our desperate need for God's word, for God and his gospel. But Paul also communicated the desperate need for his brothers and sisters. And in recognition of that need for community, I wanted to share with you guys a couple stories. And these stories are, are really of the church rightly being the church. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to, to learn from, from our success and really to praise God for what he's seen fit to do in and through Life Church. So would you guys watch these with me? Thanks, Mindy and, and Mark. I appreciate you guys. Church, let's never forget this, that we are invited into all of this first by the work of the cross, that the type of family that we are invited into first starts with a relationship with our Savior. Christ died for us as payment for our sins that, so that we could have a relationship with him. But as we repent and follow him, we also enter into a new kind of family, our eternal family. We also enter into this with a new kind of love, Christian love. In an article that I recently read on the Gospel Coalition website, Eric Raymond wrote this. What we have to remember is that Christian love at its heart is a redemptive love. This means that it is rooted in God saving us from our sins. This includes the sin of selfishness. When we love others, we are to be helping them to become more and more like Jesus Christ. If we are superficial or selfish, and by this I mean talking about all the kinds of surface items, we will never get to the matters of the heart, the stuff that really matters. Superficiality will prevent the type of redemptive love that irritates in the right sense our sinful preoccupation with ourselves. Life Church, let's burn the ship of selfishness that would rob us from wholehearted, real, authentic, safe, and encouraging, God-glorifying family love. Ben, you guys can come on up. As we look at Paul's perspective and love for the church, it should inform ours too. As we consider how our hearts might need to shift here, maybe this is an opportunity for you to consider where God is calling you to, how you can step in. Maybe, folks, you guys aren't part of a life group. And if so, I want you to know that there are plenty of safe places for you to land here where you can be 100% known and not 72. And I know that that can be an awkward and uncomfortable, difficult step, but this is the type of family that the Bible points us to. Maybe, maybe you guys have, have a, a heart that's been shaped and molded into, into having a desire for discipleship or mentorship. If, if you're looking for for somebody to, to disciple or even to be discipled, please get in touch with one of your elders or, 
or one of the staff members here, we would love to put you in contact with, with somebody to do that. There's an awesome resource that Catley Stutler has, has put together for us as a body. Also, guys, another practical uh, step that we can take that we learned about earlier is Life Kids. We're growing in the most organic sense. And by this, I mean we're having lots of babies. Um, in Life Kids, guys, you will have the opportunity to teach these kids some lessons, the most important lessons that they will walk through their whole lives. And you will get to participate with God while He shapes them into who He will have them be. Friends, let's never forget that church is far more than a service to attend. The church consists of God's people doing God's work. Let's always rejoice in this, that as we consider how we are to love one another, Christ died to purchase this love. This love was not cheap. This love is not a fleeting love. This love is not a diminishing love, but it was costly, and it is enduring, and it is a replenishing kind of love. Let me pray. God, thank you for, thank you for your word. It is a gift. It is a grace in our lives. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for the work that you've done in, in our family here. God, I pray that you would continue to just guide our steps, that you would give us wisdom and discernment in, in how we accomplish this thing called gospel-centered community. God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. In your name, amen.